Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You are listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today we continue our series called Codes for a Healthy Earth, Cultivating Peace with All of Life. The urgent and complex global challenges we face will not be resolved from within the same systems that created them. And today, people of all cultures and ages are ourselves as a species. Today, we bring the voice of the animals. We cannot live in harmony with the whole of creation without understanding and healing our deepest sacred relationship with the animals. The divine has willed the birth of an embodied divine humanity in love with and protective of the natural world. Our guest today invites us to open our eyes, open our hearts and souls to that divine animal within. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, authoring more than 30 incredible books, Andrew Harvey is the founding director of the Institute of Sacred Activism, an international organization focused on inviting concerned people to take up the challenge of our contemporary global crises by becoming inspired, effective, and practical agents of institutional and systemic change in order to create peace and sustainability. Sacred activism is a transforming force of compassion in action that is born of a fusion of deep spiritual knowledge, courage, love, and passion with wise, radical action in the world. The large-scale practice of sacred activism can become an essential force for preserving and healing the planet and all its inhabitants. So I am really happy to have one of my favorite guests back. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Julie, and thank you for the wonderful work you do. And thank you, above all, for welcoming the animals in, because as you know, I'm a passionate advocate of animal rights. I've just produced this book, which is really one of the books that I'm most proud of called Saving Animals from Ourselves with Carolyn Baker. And this message of really reconnecting with the animal creation through the blessing and the acceptance and the forgiveness and the understanding of our own divine animal is a message I think that is at the core of everything you're up to and it's certainly at the core of everything I'm up to. Well, thank you, Andrew. Yes, I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation forward. And I I do want to just kind of ground us in your words and your work with the animals. This book is beautiful. I have it in my hands, A Manifesto for Healing the Divine Animal Within. And that is so intriguing. Like, what does that mean? There's delight on so many pages in here. I have, I have my yellow highlighter again, and and some really beautiful 
quotes and poetry as, as well as some really poignant, painful sections for us to really have us look deep within. So, so Andrew, and we also have mutual friends. So as we're bringing in these codes for a healthy earth, cultivating peace with all of life, you have a dear friend, Linda Tucker, who's been involved in helping with this new codes for a healthy earth and Shelly Ostroff has had an experience with the white lions and there's so much that has been influenced and infused by that white lion energy so I'm really looking forward before we get to the white no let's begin there because I think that came first before this book so can you share with our listeners how Andrew Harvey became such a sacred activist for the animals on the planet that's a huge question. I think it goes back to the depths of my childhood because as a child in India, I was deeply in love with all animals, with my own animals and with the animals in the Delhi Zoo. My mother told me that I was hopelessly in love with the hippopotami and found them incredibly beautiful, which she found incredibly funny. <laughs> as a child, I experienced my father killing a duck, but only wounding it and actually the duck plunged into a lake and covered the lake with blood and that deeply wounded my heart and I became a vegetarian as a child. So from an early age I had an overwhelming passion for animals. Then I went through my mystical education which took up until my early 40s when I actually started to have cats myself and fell overwhelmingly in love with cats. Then in my 50s, I had the astounding opportunity through a friend to go and stay personally with Linda Tucker, this was 10 years ago, in Timbavati and meet the white lions. I can only describe what happened as something absolutely miraculous because I had, before I met the White Lions, bought the patriarchal religious Kool-Aid that human beings were superior to animals and that animals were wonderful but not in any way awake and certainly not awake as we are awake. I had bought all of that, as all of us have bought all of that in unconscious ways, those who haven't been transformed by an experience of the indigenous tradition as I was transformed. So I went to Timbavati, open but deeply, I can see now, unconsciously prejudiced. And what happened in Timbavati in that first visit is that I not only encountered the splendor and majesty and glory and beauty of the white lions, I really encountered in a way that I couldn't possibly deny their extraordinary spiritual power. And I'll just tell you one story. One night I was reading Linda Tucker's great book, which is a book that I beg everybody to read because it will change forever your understanding of what animals are. And it's a book about her journey into the depths of the mystery of the white lions, the journey called, the, it's a book called The Mystery of the White Lions. And I was reading this book and I came to a passage where Linda was saying that as far as the African shamanic tradition is concerned, the white lions come from the stars and are star lions and are embodied divine masters. And at this moment, it was about two o'clock in the morning, I shut the book and said, 
I don't know whether I believe this, but I want to believe this because I feel something overwhelming. Please, please give me a sign. And I walked out of the rondebelle in which I was reading, and suddenly five white lions appeared and roared and disappeared. So the synchronicity was overwhelming. I was being given, I felt and knew, in fact, a message out of the heart of nature that the white lions are the ambassadors of embodied divine love, speaking with majestic beauty out of the heart of nature to remind us of the sacredness of everything that nature is and to challenge us to come into the unified force field of our own lion hearts and act with lion-hearted passion, lion-hearted courage, lion-hearted authenticity, lion-hearted compassion on every level to save the creation and save ourselves through saving the creation. So that was an initiation that has grown deeper and deeper over the years. And the white lines woke me up to what nature is and continue to challenge me to go deeper into my own lion heart and pour it out to try and galvanize people to real sacred action at this tragic but amazing moment we find ourselves in. Mm. Well, the, the beauty of what I heard as you were sharing about the white lions was really that their message is this, it's not just this lion hearted courage of our own personal leadership, but as it relates to the restoration of the planet and the relationship with all of her inhabitants, that, that was really beautiful. Oh, that's the message. The lions are the predators, the leading predators, the kings and queens of nature. And the white lions are the ultimate lions. They're white with blue eyes and they're very few of them. And they have immense sacred power. And what they're saying in their silence and in the majesty of their divine presence, what they're saying is nature is totally conscious, totally sacred, amazingly beautiful and powerful on every level, wake up and do everything you can to preserve nature, but also wake up to the divine animal within you, to the gorgeous lion, to the elephant, to the deer, to the leaping tiger, the leaping dolphin within you. Realize that one of the most glorious things that humanity has before it is a wholly new set of relationships with the creation and with animals. Realize that nature had this once, that we had this once in the indigenous world, but now we're being asked and challenged and invited to recreate those relationships. One of the themes of my book is this, one of the greatest discoveries, I think, of our modern time. As great, I believe, as quantum physics is major, major unraveling of the mystical nature of the universe, is the latest research that's being done into animal consciousness. And as you know, the book has a great deal on this, because what this research is showing, and it's 
very potent research done mostly in the last 30 years is that our belief that animal consciousness is somehow inferior is a disgusting and stupid and vulgar fantasy because animals not only have amazing powers of consciousness, they have powers of consciousness that we don't have, which if we got into connection with them, they could share with us. And we need to establish this kind of communication, not just to realize the sacredness and grandeur of what we're living in, this glorious creation, but also as a way of surviving the madness that we ourselves have created out of a completely false, completely dissociated vision of what the world is and what we are. So what the white lions opened up in me wasn't simply a vision of the radiant sacredness of the creation wasn't simply also a sense that the divine masters can be in animal form as well as in human form, glorious though that vision was. It was also, and it has been also, the opening up of a relationship with the white lions in which I myself have been taught by them in mysterious and wonderful ways to bless my own animal. And through realizing how difficult it's been for me to bless my own animal, I've understood, and so has Carolyn, the person that we, I wrote this book with, that the main problem, and this I think is one of the original themes of this book, the main problem with us comes from the schizophrenia with which we treat our own animal nature, the disgust, the rejection, the fear, the terror, the repugnance, the shame. And this repugnance and shame and terror have been enshrined in the patriarchal traditions. They have been written into the great text. They have been installed in us and they deeply, deeply inhibit us from actually blessing our bodies, blessing and transmuting our sexuality, blessing this being that we inhabit, this gorgeous, infinitely complex, infinitely sacred body temple that we inhabit with its very potent animal nature, which has glorious capacities of love and power and patience and strength and stamina in it, but which we've been taught to degrade and diminish and deny and downplay in the most ferocious ways. Once you realize this, and it's a very shocking realization, you realize that people who are doing to their own animal natures what we are doing to ours are condemned to project that hatred of their own animal onto animals in the world. And as I say, I think this is the key to the book. This is really the core of the book. There are just three paragraphs, and I'd love to read them out because I think it would help us focus what I'm yeah. trying to really convey. What I say on page, what Carolyn and I say on page 114 is, Animal rights is not just about our being benevolent to animals, but ultimately about saving our own souls and stopping the meaningless nihilism that is erupting in everything we do and creating an unstoppable terminal disaster that will annihilate all life.
In a sense, even animal rights is a dualistic term that reinforces the separation that has led to the disaster in the first place. There is no separating the survival of animals from our own survival. Animal rights are an inherent part of human rights. As we torture animals, so we torture ourselves and each other. In karmic terms, we are building for ourselves a tsunami of negative karma for our own species. We've ignored the reality that the Divine Mother has other children besides us. And as a result of our disregard for her on myriad levels, we may fulfill the Hopi prophecy that warns us that unless we pay attention to the Mother, she will shake us off like a dog shakes off fleas. What this book is calling for is nothing less than a revolution in perception that faces squarely our responsibility for the terminal situation we are creating, the bankruptcy of all the religious systems and philosophies that have guided us, the facts of our worldwide genocidal cruelty against the animals and creation in general, and the necessity for a massive spiritual transformation that reveals the equality of all being and the sacredness of every flea, stone, insect, and blade of grass. In the Upanishads, the great Hindu mystics write, the wise see the divine flaming in all creation. We have no more time left to remain unwise. So that's the real thrust of the book. It's begging people to look at what we're doing, look at the deep reasons for why we're doing it, the deep hatred of our own animal nature that results in us becoming serial killers to the animal creation, results in us becoming gauleiters of a worldwide Auschwitz in which we're torturing innumerable animals in abattoirs, in medical experiments, and in species destruction. This is insane, but it's insane not just because it makes us destructive to the animals, it makes us profoundly self-destructive. So healing our relationship with the animals is healing our relationship with our own divine animal and coming into a much richer, deeper, tenderer, more compassionate, more engaged relationship with the whole body of the creation and then stepping up to do something about changing the structures and the systems and the policies and the economic visions that keep the madness and the genocide going. And that's why this book is structured in the way it's structured. It, the first part is a massive visionary invitation to everyone to get down with the holiness of the creation and offers wonderful practices to do that and great testimonies of the great saints and mystics of many traditions and of the indigenous tradition to the kind of glorious, passionate relationship that evolved divine embodied beings can have with the creation. The second part asks those who've been inspired by that vision to have the strength to look at what we're actually doing. And we kept this part short, but very fierce because we know how paralyzing the facts are because we face that paralysis ourselves when he wrote the book and we wanted to give enough of the facts and enough of the horror to really shatter people's complacency on every level but not to depress them 
so much that they couldn't go forward. So once you've integrated what you could call the wisdom of the light that comes from the new vision of what we could live with animals, with the wisdom of the dark, what our own madness is making us do to ourselves and animals, then you are equipped to really do what the third part invites you to do, which is to become a sacred activist, realistically armed with the knowledge of the dark, but impassioned by the vision that is opened up by the great saints and the indigenous tradition, and ready to serve animals. And so in the last section, we have some astounding friends of mine and Carolyn's who are actually right now doing the work, doing the work in heroic, no bullshit ways. And the book is dedicated to my great friend and the executive director of my institute, the Institute of Sacred Activism, Jill Angelo, who has created the Moondog Sanctuary and has given shelter to approximately 40 or 50 animals, including 15 battered dogs, in her own home and is working tirelessly to be the most effective healer and guardian of these animals. So amazing people are stepping up and we wanted to celebrate the ones that we have the deepest connection with. And we wanted to invite people who've been through the initiatory unfolding of the book to start really seeing the problem and addressing their own healing and doing something about what is happening to animals. So it's a very comprehensive book in a way. It's short, but it's comprehensive. And we've written it in a very new, radical, spiritual, naked kind of way to really give people both the inspiration, the practices, and the passion and the strength and the courage to start facing the situation and going on and really rising to act to help. Mm. I, there are a couple of things. Thank you. Oh, wow. Pause, breathe. This is so much. Um, you talk it's, about, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And I want to yeah. go back to a couple of things that really moved me just listening to you. A couple of things popped when you talk about radically spiritually naked way. Um, two things the first is when we're looking at healing the divine animal within when you're talking about that we just like you talked about drinking the kind of patriarchy is quite literally we've been taught to disconnect from the body not only the divine sacred within this body but especially the animal yeah. and you know we, we talk about uh, the development of our brain and and our reptilian brain and we mature past it and and it's like let go of that animal and be civilized and there's this huge chasm there with the animal that's within this huge chasm of separation well and there's a the obvious truth that we're not civilized. We've created a completely insane situation in which we're committing mass suicide by destroying the environment. We've created an, an economic system which keeps billions of people in states of depraved poverty. We've created a media system which distracts us 
by distraction, from distraction, at a moment when we need to be focused to have a hope in heaven of saving ourselves, let alone saving the planet, <laughs> saving the the whole human species, our civilization has created a nightmare and it comes from our radical dissociation from the simple truths of nature and the simple rhythms of nature and the great holy wisdom enshrined in those truths and rhythms. Mm. Yes, yes. And so the second thing that really moved inside of me was... um, imagining so from the place of separation consciousness a consciousness of separation when we have seen animals as separate from ourselves we you know we've we know we've done this hierarchy thing you know they they don't communicate they don't build they can't build cities they don't you know they're not sophisticated we've we've totally diminished all of their innate capacities into um, putting it into a safe box that we can control something. But the the piece that really moved, and we have a few minutes before break, I'd love to hear you speak to this, Andrew. The piece that moved me was, as we see animals as other, we're doing this othering thing. If animals are separate from me and they're, they're something other than I, we don't even connect with the divinity that's within it. It's like, it's, well, yeah. You can't, but yeah. The point yeah. is, we, it begins with us othering ourselves. Yes. We other our own bodies, our own sexuality, our own embedded in body loving. We destroy our animal beauty along with our repugnance for what we consider animal craziness or animal lust. All of those categories, when you really investigate them, are born out of a puritanical rejection and denigration of our animal nature, which is a catastrophe because in our divine animal is hidden so much wisdom, so much tenderness, so much compassion, so much humility before the creation, so much openness to establishing miraculous relationships with animals of all kinds in which we can be expanded beyond imagining by the love field and the wisdom and the spiritual depth of the animals whom we meet in those relationships. One of the whole points of the book and one of the deepest points of the book comes really in the story that I tell about Rumi's tomb. I was at Rumi's tomb about five years ago and at the time when everyone was celebrating in a glorious way Rumi's immortality, Rumi's death day, which was a marriage day where everyone dances to celebrate his vision of being United with the beloved, it's an amazing time to be alive, to be near that tomb on that day. And I was with this old Turkish woman who told me the following. She said, you know, in that tomb with Rumi lies his cat. And his cat was his last great teacher. He had three great human teachers, Shams and then two other young men who really inspired him. And then in his late years, he had the ultimate teacher. He had a cat who, whose love so 
suffused him that he entered into an even deeper relationship with the creation because of the great blessing of this relationship. Nobody had ever spoken to me like that before. I'd studied Rumi for 40 years without knowing that, and yet it burst upon me like lightning that it was a huge revelation that the greatest prophet of love that the human that humanity has ever seen that should be buried in a tomb with his cat on his heart center but also should have had in his last years the miraculous relationship that he did have to open up yet new vistas of embodied divine love mm. imagine if human beings knew that story imagine if we knew that as the indigenous traditions know, that the greatest teachers at a certain stage of one's evolution are not human beings anymore, but animals who can introduce you, if you're very lucky, to the deepest mysteries of the planet, because they inhabit them naturally and with a spacious and brilliant awareness that we're now discovering to be true in science, but which the indigenous peoples have always known to be true because they lived with animals and saw them and felt them and were loved by them and knew them. Mm. Thank you for that, Andrew. And thank you, listeners, for staying tuned. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show all things connected. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, so much more with Andrew Harvey, the beautiful conversation about saving animals from ourselves and then moving into codes for a healthy earth. We'll be right back. So you see, son, good manners are important. Should I go through it again? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open. Don't speak with your mouth full. Keep your elbows off the table. Share your things, play nice, and generally treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. If a disaster struck right now, what would you and your family do first? Would your kids know what to do? How would you get in touch with them if you're separated and your cell phone isn't working? Don't wait until a disaster strikes to figure it out. It's your responsibility to make a plan for you and your family ahead of time. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. Brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ed. This is Cheryl Maloney with today's Simple Step for Real Change Minute. Make today about nurturing you. Take a few minutes to get away from work or whatever stress that you're going through. Go outside. Go to a quiet place. Enjoy the beauty of this day because you need to see it. Take a walk. Meditate. Go buy yourself some flowers or a special treat. You need to be taking care of you. You need to nurture you, even if it's just for those few minutes. Never forget the importance of taking care of yourself. It goes a long way to taking care of others. This is Cheryl Maloney, hoping that you'll take this simple step for real change today. 
Packers. Vikings. Red State. Blue State. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But no matter how different we are, we're all connected, and we can all make a difference. That's why United Way brings people, expertise, and resources together to improve the education, income, and health of our communities, the building blocks for a better life. When we live united, our efforts, magnified by others, add up to real change. Children succeed in school, families gain financial stability, the health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly, so do our communities. But real change won't happen without you. Live Live united. United. So let's look beyond our differences. Live Live United. United. One by one, let's make a difference. Let's reach out a hand to one and influence the condition of all. (laughs) Live Live United. (laughs) Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Radio to inspire, encourage, and empower your life. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links, as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. And Codes for a Healthy Earth was co-initiated by Shelley Ostroff and Jan Golding with Together in Creation. The creation of the document was a collaborative process with leaders from diverse sectors in over 30 countries. The framework can be freely adopted by a group or movement as a collective compass for coordinated citizen-led action toward the healing and regeneration of the planet and all its inhabitants. Go to www.codes.earth to learn more and endorse the codes. Today we are here with Andrew Harvey. You can learn so much more about Andrew and his work with sacred activism if you go to andrewharvey.net or sacredactivism.org. So, Andrew, welcome back. I'm Thank like, you so much. I'm just in awe of how your work and expertise with the animals is such a beautiful foundation for a conversation of what to do next. What do, how do we move into sacred activism? And I'm really happy that we have this initiative called the Codes for a Healthy Earth now moving forward that really does give us that collective compass. Yes. Yeah, it's exciting. So in what ways, perhaps, if we, if we just jump right into this, Andrea, in what ways do you feel that the Codes for a Healthy Earth emerging from this collective wisdom at this time on the planet What's your vision? You give me the vision that you really, I'd love to ask you a question. What inspired you to go on this adventure? What really inspired you? Because you're asking me wonderful questions, but we're old friends. I'd love people to hear the depth of what really made you convinced that these codes could be of real help at this time. Well, thank you for asking me that. I am really glad you did. You know, um, Wow. So the the piece that really speaks to me so deeply about the codes for a healthy earth at this time 
and the emergence of them is that literally, and, and I was thinking of this when I was listening to you so often, we hear different individuals, groups, and organizations moving into sacred activism like the animals and the water or the environment, the climate, or women's rights, or listen, listen to the indigenous, right? And tune into the, so often we have so many different movements, so many amazing opportunities for sacred activism, so many needs of this planet. Yes. I think you, you talked about that in the brevet, you know, in, in a, a brief statement, but literally the needs are huge, right? There's so much. Yes. So the thing that I appreciate so much about the codes for a healthy earth in this time is that it brings in a pure, concise, whole systems approach to looking at all of the crises we face. That just like now we're talking about the animals, the animals are named in within the healthy codes of really coming into right relationship, rewilding the planet. You know, the animals are included, but it's not, oh, yeah, another animal rights movement. No, this is codes that help right. us align together, that look at the whole system. That Well, this we is why I wrote the book. This is, in sense, saving animals from ourselves is a divine code for how we get back into relationship with our own animals so that we can really do this work. So it fits in exactly with these codes that you are giving to people that are simple distillations of essential wisdom that can be activated in a global way. Yeah. Yes. And so the thing I appreciate when you talk about this book is it is if without us really looking at, so let's look at all these movements. This is another thing I really appreciate, Andrew. We can just have this frank conversation. No, so when, I, when I look, yeah, great. when I look at your book and you're inviting us into that, the divine animal within, Right. And if we don't look at our divine animal within, if we don't look at our inner climate that is in crises, if we don't look and honor and love the inner waters that are toxic right now, you know, it's all like, let us move within and really see ourselves and what we've done so we can come back out in this whole system's response and act intelligently and effectively to start and solving. We cannot act from a dissociated consciousness. Look, it's very simple and it's very scary. Any solutions even inspired ones that come from a dissociated consciousness will not work and cannot work in the crisis that we've created out of our dissociation. Mm. And what's even scarier is that a lot of the people who believe they're sacred activists or doing good things are still dissociated because they haven't blessed their own divine animal. They're not working from the depths of an embodied consciousness. They're working from a set of laws or rules. And that's not going to work because we're in an evolutionary crisis so intense there is a new human being appearing, but that new human being is an embodied 
divine human being who has blessed his or her divine animal and can work with an integrated animal consciousness in the divine that embraces all forms of consciousness to do completely new things with miraculous new energy on the planet. So one of the things that I've come to understand about sacred activism is that if you really believe in sacred activism, then you believe that all action must come from profound sacred consciousness. And if you really explore what that means, you cannot avoid coming to understand that it means really blessing the mother, really blessing the embodied Godhead, really blessing the creation, really blessing your body, really blessing the sacred relations that we have with the whole of creation. And when you understand that, you understand how much of our culture, both religious and political, has been set up to actually make that relationship as difficult as possible. When you understand that, you understand that if you're ever going to get to authentic, embodied, divine, sacred consciousness, you're going to have to go through a massive revolution on every level. You're going to have to really look at everything you've been taught, both by science and by religion, and go forward into a new, mysterious, whole relationship with the whole of reality, the whole field of reality. This is the consciousness that's trying to be born on the earth. And there are not many people who are truly incarnating this consciousness as yet. I don't know whether I am. I'm trying, but I know that it is the authentic consciousness from which we can act in surprising ways to be healing and powerful. Mm. This whole Are you hearing me? This is I am totally very important point, it seems to me, because yes. If we continue to believe that just having good intentions and turning up and doing good works is going to shift this situation, we are blind, we are mad, and we are trapped. If we realize that this is an evolutionary transformation that we're called to, and that there are signs of what the next step is, the signs of the next mutation is, that it's an embodied consciousness, then we'll do everything we possibly can to heal our relationship with our own divine animals so that we can come Come into a much more integrated, loving consciousness with the whole of creation, which will immediately and naturally inspire us to do things to protect the creation and give us the wisdom from the creation's own wisdom, not from our imposed, dissociated goodwill. That's mm. the key. We need to be moved by nature, not pretend, as we still go on doing, that we have the solutions for nature. We don't. We must ask nature and beg nature to take us in again and infuse us and inform us and make us whole and heal us so that we can follow the mother from within her. Mm. Am I making sense to you? Absolutely, yes. And I'm just feeling this um, in this new kind of way that's important as we're talking about Codes for Healthy Earth and moving forward is without that embodied consciousness as you speak, which is really the divine human becoming that we are embodied within, without that 
experience. We really don't know ourselves as whole. We really don't understand that connection. It's just this line that we draw that, that creates some kind of a false faux connection. it It does. It creates a psychosis. Yeah. If you're that split from your authentic self, if you have to go through so many pretzel convulsions to deny your own divine animal, if you've been taught to degrade and denigrate your own animal nature, what hope do you have of ever being whole? What hope do you have of relating to the entire creation as holy? What hope do you have of having the electric and transformative relationships with animals that could possibly open you to the whole miracle of the creation? And what hope do you have of ever embodying love? Because one of the things you're going to discover if you open to the animals is that they, they are the supreme masters of embodying love. They know how to love with their whole minds, whole hearts, whole souls, whole bodies in a totally erotic, non-genital, but deeply powerful way. And if we can follow them and be taught by them, as I'm being taught by my cat, I can discover wholly new powers of loving myself, loving others, loving human beings, loving the creation, which makes me far richer as a person and far wiser as a person and far more able to follow the guidance, the mysterious guidance of what the Chinese call the Tao, the mystery of nature herself being moved by this secret, profound intelligence, which you have no hope of connecting to if you don't bless your own animal. Mm. So, Andrew, we have so many conscious leaders, evolutionary thinkers, beautiful change makers, sacred activists that tune into this show. Ah, many have heard your voice because I love having you here and sharing your voice with our listeners. Thank you. Is what would you say? (laughs) Yeah. What might you say to them at this point on the journey of as we're coming to this place that, um, well, let me back up for a second. One of the things that I truly appreciate about the codes, one of my personal most moving thread in the codes besides it being whole system it's a foundational whole system framework to support self-organizing that's another one of mine but but i love that about it yeah yes the self-organizing we'll talk about that in a second but it's also working together across national cultural and ideological boundaries like the Um, language yes can you speak to that as we come to this place of moving uh, working together across national cultural and ideological boundaries it sets us up to really um move more innately into the animal within that we're talking about it it it, it, we move more naturally and innately into this inherent capacity to embody consciousness, embody the wholeness. So what might you say um, for those listening if, if they're wondering, I don't feel that right now. I don't feel an innate connection to the animal's 
in the world. I don't feel the innate divine animal within. How do we wake ourselves up as a species? I think everybody listening can remember moments of great animal joy. Start there. Mm. Animal joy, when you feel so blessed by the presence of a friend that you feel your whole body subtly warm with the love that your friend is giving you. Animal joy, when you've made love to somebody who you truly love and who truly loves you and are suffused with the tender ecstasy of love. Animal joy when you hold a beloved animal in your arms and feel that pulse of exchange of just sheer, sweet, embodied love between you and your animal. Animal joy when you, as a parent, lie in your bed with your young son or young daughter in your arms. Start there and realize that it's your animal being that loves this intimacy of these amazing moments so much. And realize, too, how much your life prevents you by its addiction to thought, by its addiction to action, by its addiction to paying attention to what only human beings think and what only human beings want from this much subtler, much richer, much sweeter, much deeper life that you know is there, but you know you're blocked from. So start there. Beautiful. And then... What I would truly beg you to do is to write yourself a letter about how you treated your own body over the years and really look at the ways in which you bought the social conventions about the body, the, the conventions of your parents, the conventions of the religions, the messages about the body being a source of illusion, the messages about sexuality being dirty, really go through a clear inventory of the ways in which you have drunk the poisoned wine of the patriarchy and are in schizophrenic separation from the beauty and holiness of your own physical nature. Writing that letter is a very painful thing, but it's a very important thing because it it'll help you realize in terms of your own evolution, your own family, your own messaging, your own experience of your own sexuality, how much pain and trauma and self-hatred and physical self-hatred are hidden in your body. So once you've realized that, then... It's very, very important to turn to the kinds of exercises that have been strewn throughout this book, Saving Animals from Ourselves, exercises that can truly help you re-experience the sacred connection with the universe. But the most important thing that you could possibly do, once you've realized just how catastrophic this self-loathing is and how schizophrenic it makes you and how disempowering it is of real wisdom is to turn to the mother, is to really in your own ways turn to the embodied Godhead, the mother, and ask her to heal your mind of physical hatred and self-hatred and 
body hatred and sex hatred heal your heart of a desire to escape from being here and have your heart ask the mother to invite your heart to bless everything about being here and really offer up the cells of your body the whole of your body by envisaging her golden light coming into you on every level and pouring through you, offering up all of your being to being transmuted by that golden light so that the healing, love and wisdom and power of the mother can come and wash away again and again all the residue of this endless, raging, crazy, obscene body damnation that has stained our whole vision of reality. This is very important work because if you're going to go forward as a sacred activist, you're going to need the most powerful mind. You're going to need an unshakable heart and you're going to need an increasingly divinized body, a body that can weather great storms of suffering and disappointment and difficulty and the chaos of the world. How will you find that unified being that you're going to need if you cannot integrate your divine animal? How will you possibly be grounded enough, strong enough, luminous enough, joyful enough, energetic enough to keep pouring yourself out to help without really entering the unified force field of the sacred marriage and realizing that your body, your mind, your heart, your soul are all different facets of one extraordinary mystery of divine embodiment. That's the key to the next level of sacred activism. And that's why I wrote this book, because I came to understand it myself at deep levels. And I came to understand, too, through my own relationship with my own animals, just how redemptive the relationship with animals can be if we are humble enough to open ourselves to their great sacred truths and consciousness and wisdom and beauty and grace. <clears throat> I get wild on this subject, but it, I <laughs> see it possesses my soul. And it's something I feel so deeply about because I've been so deeply helped myself. And I can only say that in my own healing, I've really have been so blessed because I've met many of the great masters on the planet, the great teachers, male and female, but I've come to really see my greatest teachers as being the white lions and my own cats because they continually challenge me to be more and more grounded, more and more in my sacred body, more and more loving, more and more aware of the miracle of every flower, of every stone, of every breeze, more and more living consciously a simple union with reality as an overwhelming experience of God. Mm. Yeah, this is a beautiful, really, invitation. The, the entire conversation is so beautiful, Andrew. It brings us into the, the why and the how of the necessity for the codes to a really align to this um, our inner codes with the outer codes and to really move into action 
as as individuals and collectives and really move forward to create the more beautiful world that is is just waiting for all of us to do and it does start with that healing and that embodiment that we talk about so andrew thank you so much for bringing this wisdom and this topic of the divine animal within to all of us today i really appreciate your passion thank you thank you and if this what I've said is moved you, my friends. I spent with Carolyn three years writing three different versions of this book, but the book that we came up with is, I think, a radical, revolutionary, mystical, but practical book. It's called Saving Animals from Ourselves, a manifesto for healing the divine animal within. It's getting everywhere. It's really opening up many, many people. Please do us the honor of reading it. It costs you just a little bit more than the breakfast at Starbucks, and I hope that it will renovate, restore, regenerate the ecstatic mm. relationship with the creation that is your and my birthright. Beautiful. Again, that's Saving Animals from Ourselves with Andrew Harvey. Find Andrew at andrewharvey.net. And I want to remind you that the codes are founded on the premise that as long as there is oppression anywhere, within the community of life, especially our animals. Think about it with our conversation today. True peace cannot exist. Exactly. To achieve genuine and lasting world peace, it's essential that we call debate peace with all life. I want to leave you with some of Andrew's words here. We are not separate from the divine, not separate from other humans, and are inextricably interconnected with the earth community, with a responsibility to protect and to live in humble, humble, and grateful harmony with the whole of creation. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 